Oh, please. What? If you say his gorgeous eyes see into your soul, I'm gonna puke all over your new leggings, which are quite sharp, by the way. Uh, Legs for day. Uh, thank you. And I never said his eyes were gorgeous or that he sees into my soul, but weirdly, he might. Oh, he's sucking the soul out of you because he doesn't have one. Um, he did save my life. He's called the Dark King. You're called Margot the Destroyer. I was a woman ruling a patriarchy. My brand had to be overkill. Bottom line, he likes you. Use that to find out what he's really about. I'll see if my fellow centurions like to gossip. Then we regroup and decide. Benevolent dictator by necessity. Or psychopathic despot by choice. What if he's the latter? Then I always got his back. Perfect place to bury these. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly, everyone. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're talking about episode 504, Magicians Anonymous, written by John McNamara. A little heads up, due to some scheduling shenanigans, the only time we could record this episode and have it out to you anywhere near when it airs was by watching it and then like immediately sitting down to talk about it. So we're really fresh and also a little punchy. Indeed. I'm going to do my best to give a recap, but y'all... So much happens in this damn episode that I literally just finished watching. So, like, for starters, Katie and Dean Fogg take a magical acid trip so they can find the depository and save the hedges. But to get the information they need, one of them has to stay behind, apparently, for good. And um, I guess at least Dean Fogg found his missing sock. Alice runs into Zelda while looking for information on the harmonic convergence in the library. And when a group of Visigoths invade the library while she's there, Zelda burns all the books. All the people books. Just the people books, right? To prevent the library's knowledge of the future from getting into the wrong hands. And then in Fillory... Elliot joins the Dark King's cadre, and Margot fights takers alongside him, him being the Dark King, before discovering that he may be harvesting fairies or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what was going on there, but we did see a fairy. Um, meanwhile, Penny's psychic troubles come to a head, pun intended, because he has a headache, and Julia must choose between saving the world and saving him by removing his psychic powers. After she makes her choice, Penny's student reveals herself for who she really is, Plum Chatwin. Did I miss anything? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you got it. Okay, so what did you think of this bonkers-ass episode, Danny? There was just so much going on. Oh, my God. It was just, like, one thing after another. And it's a lot to process. <laughs> yeah, in, like, not very much time. Yeah, like, I liked the episode. I'm not entirely sure if I loved it, but I liked it a lot. What about you? The whole episode was bonkers. And I feel like it was bonkers in the best possible way. Just like a crazy amount of stuff happened, like you said. And I knew it would right away. I mean, you saw I texted you because the previously on was over two minutes long. And it had all that crazy tense music attached. And I was like, this is going to be a nutty episode. Where is it going? Yeah. But still, I like I honestly didn't see half of it coming, <laughs> right? Like the binder is back. Julia was hanging onto the books all along. Does that mean she could have asked him to turn her back into a goddess? And then if that is the case, why didn't she? Ah! And Plum! Plum! I just, I like so wanted to believe that she was going to be in the show. But honestly, I just didn't see how they were going to fit her in with like all of the plot stuff that happens. And then she was there. And then, of course, that was Plum. Because like you said, she's British. And basically all of the British people are Chatwins. <laughs> 
<laughs> but like, my notes are just a mess. My note after that is also is the head Visigoth a Chatwin? Also, <laughs> are maybe the Visigoth stand-ins for the thieves in the magician's land? But also he's British. Like, I, yeah, this is, my brain is still doing this, which I feel like is what the episode was doing. And so it's its fault. But it also felt remarkably coherent. I just feel like I am currently on a magical acid trip because I can't process it all at once. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and I have a feeling it's going to be one of those episodes that just kind of lingers on for a while, and you don't really get answers. As you know, in the hour between when I saw this episode and we started recording, I sent a bunch of DMs to John, who... I am very lucky he was there and he responded and like graciously gave me answers to some of our crazy questions. Um, And really the questions I asked him were crazy. Just kind of like one of the first things I did was I just, I wrote how with like 30 W's, did you fit all of that into one 45 minute episode? And he said, and I quote, same way I fit into my tuxedo, Spanx. That's good. Yeah. I feel like this episode feels like it has Spanx. I can see it. It's so much to process. I mean, I think I wrote in my notes at least multiple times, like, I need answers or like, <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, I think that's the thing that's so crazy about it is I thought that we had enough questions about things. I thought like the pacing at the beginning of the season has been generally a bit faster and an improvement for me at least over previous seasons. But this is just nuts. Like I thought we were already I thought we already had enough plot points to deal with and now we have like 20 times as many as we did before this episode. Oh yeah, there's so much going on and we still haven't even gone back to some of the threads that have been pulled in the season already, like with uh, Sir Effingham. We have not seen him since episode one. Well, unless the Dark King and Sir Effingham are the same somehow, which shruggy. I really don't think they are. I really <laughs> don't. Just. It does feel I mean, like a red herring. possible, but. We should deep dive into the episode, but I like, I honestly don't know where to start. It's so just jam packed. And so I was trying to think like, what is the chillest arc? The one that is the least jam packed. The one that's the least impact was definitely Alice and Zelda. It's very quick. Oh, okay. I didn't go there, but we can start with there. So yeah, what did you talk us through that arc, through your sort of feelings about it? It's pretty quick and to the point Alice like goes to the library and she wants answers about the harmonic convergence and then all hell is breaking loose as she enters the library. And I just like, I really like Zelda's relationship to the magicians now, like the mm-hmm. every separate and like she's awesome and she's also a fucking badass like she's such I always a love badass when she does magic because like you can tell she's a master magician whenever she does do it mm. well and she's been around forever so she she's been around forever she lives in the library and like reads everything so of course she knows all of the things i would love to be able to speed read like the, the librarians do <laughs> um yeah, and I mean, I think, speaking of her being badass, right, like, what she does, she torches the fucking library. She torches all of the books that say what happened in people's lives. And for somebody who, like, she said two seconds before that, that it's her whole life, that and that she doesn't think she can live with herself. She doesn't feel like she can continue if she loses it. And then she torches the place. I feel like that has to do with... A manner of control. She had control Mm. over the fact that she destroyed the books. So you think, like, she would feel... You think, like, that's more empowering for her than, like, having it taken away from her in some other way? Yeah. And I feel like 
she also like you know now that information is not hopefully not going to get into the wrong hands yeah. and and I, I just really like that it was like Alice kind of mm. begging Zelda to like hold on because like Zelda did that for her last season. Yes, and I feel like they're really bonded at this point. Like watching the library go up in flames, and then that line that I think it was Penny who said it about how they're going to have to do a whole bunch of rewrites. Mm-hmm. It made me think that we might actually see the beginnings of the like Alice to Cassandra transformation this season. I still feel like that's not going to happen. Like I feel like it was just a one bit thing, and they're never going to address it again. I I don't think you can be right. I think it's like too intense for that. But also, right, like they are going to have to rewrite all those books, and how are you going to do that with the library in shambles and nobody around? And at this point, right, like, I can see Alice feeling like, okay, if if Zelda's the one who helps them save the world, especially after they've both kind of lost everything, I can see her feeling really indebted to her. Yeah, I, I, I can see her going in that direction and somehow agreeing to help and then just, I don't know, getting it over her head or, I don't know, going freaking nuts because the world has ended too many times and she's lost too much or whatever. But I can... I don't know. It felt to me like a little bit of a hint that we might get a little bit of that this season. Yeah. Okay, anything else about Alice and Zelda? I mean, nothing specifically about them, but I do have to interject that David Anders is literally evil in every single role he plays. He is the He's the head Visigoth, right? He's the head Visigoth. <laughs> and that's why I was telling you through sex that I think his British accent was more of like a for laughs cuz it was awful. <laughs> Clearly, because <laughs> he has a really bad British accent when he was in the show Heroes, which he was also evil in. He's also an eye zombie and he's evil. This is more about British accents than anything, like bad British accents than anything else. But that was like, I think the worst thing for me about Game of Thrones was, um, uh, what is his name? What's the actor who plays Tyrion's name? Peter Dinklage? Yeah, Peter Dinklage has the worst British accent. <laughs> the absolute worst. I don't know if it's the absolute worst. It's pretty bad. I've heard some really bad ones over the years of watching Americans play British. It's so funny because, like, I feel like they do a better job the other way around, like, British people playing Americans. Like, how? But sometimes it also breaks, too. Like, <laughs> you can always hear that, like, mm. that little break in it. I mean, it's hard. It's a lot of voice training. It's done a lot of work on that. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Where should we go next? Well, actually, before we switch, I will share another sort of tidbit from John. Um, so I asked him how they broke the episode in the writer's room and, like, if there were any anecdotes from there. And he said um, that the break was pretty normal, but added, my one goal was to see if the characters could go on adventures that were beginning to move away from grieving. As in life, you grieve and then take drugs, and pretty soon you're chasing a brown bunny. The grief isn't over. It's temporarily overtaken by being high as balls. (laughs) I wouldn't consider that good life advice, but... I guess that's a good segue into the the Katie and Fogg storyline, which... I was just like, of course, every show has to have an acid trip episode. Yeah, they absolutely do. And this one was like Alice in Wonderland meets the Big Lebowski. (laughs) Yeah. 
Also, like a street rave. <laughs> the dude definitely abides. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. And honestly, my biggest complaint about the fact that we have to record this right after we watch the episode is that I didn't have time to like really do a detailed looking through that scene to find all the Easter eggs and weird shit <laughs> so that we could talk oh, yeah. about it. Because I know it's in there. I know it's in there. But I do love that Dean Fogg finds his sock. And I also asked John if he would find more socks, and the answer was no, tragically. No. I am just going to be really upset if it's truly the last we see of Dean Fogg. Like, I doubt it, but, like... There's no way. There's no way it's the last we see of him. My bigger concern is that is about his sobriety because like I was really rooting for that to stick and I mean same for Katie but I I don't think she's gonna have a problem but with Dean Fogg like being there for potentially a very long time I think the longer he's there the harder it's gonna be for him to adjust back and I don't know I was just rooting for him and it makes me sad that yeah he's in that situation it was kind of weird that he was there in general because it was an NA meeting and he's an, an alcohol. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just narcotic. No, I think they were actually magicians because right, Katie says that she was a hedge and she's explaining like her whole magic story. So Oh yeah, true. Probably there's drugs involved, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's more complex than that. I just love how troll it is though that he's like disguised himself as some like hot girl that's like Kind of like staring Katie down. Like I thought for a second that she was going to turn out to be Marina's girlfriend. Same. And I was a little disappointed. I thought that too. Because <laughs> she totally looked like... A, Marina's girlfriend. Yeah, she had that like mischiefy look. And obviously Marina and Katie have a history. So I could totally see her like trolling on Katie. But yeah, I thought for a second it kind of looked like her for a second, but like, like Marina, yeah, when she was yeah, under the for hat, like a split second, and then I was like, no. Um, John also did say that Archie, the magic LSD, was his favorite new element in the episode, and that it would be back. Okay, seems like something Josh would want to take. <laughs> it does seem like something Josh would want to take or make or make, yeah, like put into muffins. Oh, well, you don't even know what you're in for. <laughs> Ah, no. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm definitely, after I watch the other episodes and catch up to where you are, Danny, fucking trying to spoil things for me, um, I totally want to like go back and scour that scene for all the references and weird shit. It must have been so fun to film. Yeah, honestly. But you have no idea how badly I just wanted to like just blurt out to you, Plum! listeners Danny got to see this episode maybe like an hour before I did and so I was crazy because you always see them before me and you're always like oh my god (laughs) right so (laughs) I was driving home and like I was at a stoplight and I saw that I had a text from her and all it said was OMG in all caps and I'm like that's exactly what you should do because like then you're not telling me anything but I was like is it good is it bad I'm gonna love it I'm gonna hate it (laughs) but plum as soon as I saw that I was like that was the OMG that's what that was (laughs) True. Um, so should we then talk about Plum? Let's do it. Yeah, so I literally gasped and got like that tingle up my spine when Plum introduced herself. And I think that might have been my favorite part, mostly because I didn't see it coming. No, she's nothing like the Plum that we know, which is fine. But it's also like it's a it, I really love that I didn't see it coming because like you and I have been talking about Plum since season one. Right. Like, oh, yeah. And I literally just told someone the other day, I was like, if you don't think Plum <laughs> is happening, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I I think we 
we're so excited about her and so waiting for her. And it's still, it was like staring us in the face and we didn't get it. And I just love that. I love that we can still be surprised by this show, even when it does something that we've sort of been expecting. Because, <laughs> like, it yeah. do- always does it in a way that we just aren't, that's just not what we thought it was going to be. It literally hit us like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, such a ton of bricks. And it just, yeah, it, it pleases me so deeply. But we should back up to like get to that point and like go into more of the Penny storyline before we get there. Because like Penny, since he met the person who turns out to be Plum. Um, oh, also, so I I still love that like Penny is the teacher at Break Bills when it was it was Quentin in The Magician's Land and Quentin yeah. mentored Plum and Penny is now Plum's teacher and it's like, ah, more reasons we should have figured out who she was other than that she's British. Um, <laughs> but like... I thought about it. I thought about it. I was like, if she's going to be introduced, it'll probably now be with Penny. I thought about it too and still um, I didn't like... <laughs> I should have. Like I said, I was like, she has a British accent. I should have known, mm-hmm. especially because I've literally been saying that, like, almost all of the British people on the show are Chatwins. <laughs> like, almost every single one. I don't know if we've actually had anyone other than random Visigoth guy <laughs> that has a British accent that wasn't a Chatwin. We'll find out. But, yeah, I mean, I think, like, Penny, going back to Penny, like, Penny starts having these weird episodes when Plum shows up. And in this episode, it just is getting worse and worse and really interfering with things. And it's it sort of comes to a head. He, like, tries to make this new patch, and it doesn't work, but having taken off the old one makes him vulnerable. And so he ends up, like, getting sucked into wherever it is he goes, somewhere clearly very dusty, and spit back out, and, like, it nearly kills him. But, like... The same thing is sort of happening to Plum. Like she's the target, and she just ha- and he just happens to be nearby. And I think like it. Re- it reminded me a lot of Penny in season one when he kept hearing the beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just curious if it had something to do with her her Chatwin lineage. It I has mean, she kind of mentions that she's like I'm a target. Crazy shit always happens to me. And I'm wondering if it's trying to get her to Fillory. So. I think it probably is, and I saw, I don't remember if you mentioned this or if I saw it from somebody else, but, like, I at least saw something on Twitter where somebody was talking about, it was around the whole, like, who the Dark King is, Um, and somebody had said they didn't think that it was Rupert, they thought it was his boyfriend, Lance. But his boyfriend died. Death is, you know, whatever it is in this show. But they thought that, like, the diary that the Dark King threw in the well was Rupert's book. And independent of, like, who the identity of the Dark King, who we now know is named Sebastian, right? We'll get back Mm -hmm. to that later because I have some thoughts on that name. He, like, I think it's not a bad thought that the book might be Rupert's book. It's not a bad thought, but that doesn't also mean that it's not Rupert. I agree, though. I'm a little less convinced that it's Rupert now that he has a name and his name is not Rupert. Doesn't mean he's not kin that of Rupert. Mean anything. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like it also he could be one of Rupert's progeny. He could be somebody else sort of related in that as well. Do you want to give your theory now? Is that is that where we are? That would take too much, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like we should have like another crackpot theory episode where we go into crackpot theories. All right. 
because there's just too much to it that it would take up too much time. Okay, but give like a quick TLDR and then we'll just tease us for a Crackpot Theory episode. So, too long, didn't read. I'm not like a thousand percent convinced, but it's like a good theory in my head that I think that the Dark King, aka Sebastian, is Rupert Chatwin because, for one, although it's alluded to that Rupert is dead, is never shown. Mm-hmm. And if you don't show the death, did it really happen? <laughs> so there's that. And in the books, it's like he ends up being a pretty big player, even though he is dead in the books. Like, yeah, like it's like you hear almost nothing of him. And then all of a sudden, like, bam, like he's a big character in the last book having because he is Plum's great grandfather, which I think she says, doesn't she say something about I mean, or does she just say her name? She just says Chatwin. She doesn't say who is her, you know, yeah. grandparent or whatever. So I think that's just like, it's just a little bit too coincidental that Plum is here being introduced and that we might have a Rupert Chatwin. And then there's also, there's just a lot of name dropping of Rupert throughout the series. Like he is the original person who learned the Reinemann Ultra to defeat people in a war. They drop that in, like, the second season before Alice learns it. So, I don't know. He just gets name-dropped a lot. Yeah. And they've only shown him as teenager, like, twice. Yeah. So, it's like, I don't know. I just, I feel like that book is very much open. And, I don't know. Like, it's it's definitely a possibility that it could be a lover of his. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, why would this whole plum thing be going on at the same time if he's not involved somehow? Well, it could also be a child. It could also be, like, his kid, one of her parents. Yeah, I was thinking it could be his kid. Yeah, so I could see some stuff in there. I don't know. There's there's so much going on because, like, I mean, most of the joke is definitely just kind of like, you know, there hasn't been anybody with a British accent that wasn't a chat <laughs> And I just think that's mostly funny, but, like kind of true um there's a lot more to the theory we'll get there eventually yes i'll go over it okay so then i'm gonna jump us back to penny's general thing because one of the things that i was thinking about uh in the two seconds between watching this episode and us talking i was thinking about what penny said last episode when in his sort of conversation with julia um where he was talking about How, like, yeah, we got to save the world one more time, but after that, I'm kind of done. I want to settle down. And even though he didn't have a choice in it, her having Clarion remove his psychic powers does kind of bring him one step closer to that because it gives him a way to actually get away from what's going on in the rest of the magical world. It means that it's not constantly invading his space. So what I'm confused about is like, is he just like not a magician at all anymore? No, I don't think that's it. I think he just isn't psychic anymore. Cause remember he could still do like regular magic. And I think he said he okay. could still travel though. It's inadvisable because he, d- he can't like access where he's going. He can't like home hone in on a signal, but no, I think he's still a magician. He's just not right. He's not as tuned in. I still don't think Penny and Julia are long for this world as a relationship. I just, like, yeah, they've evened the playing field, I guess, because they've both kind of fucked over one another. It's interesting. And, like, I don't know if this would be a thing, but, like, I swear to God him and, like, Plum have some, like, crazy chemistry going on. No, people said that about Quentin and Plum in the books. 
I know, but it was weird then. It's still weird. <laughs> well, because, like, I feel like in this TV show, like, they're way more, like, in each other's age range because, like, of the True. whole grad school thing. But, like, in the in the books, like, it's yeah, definitely... Yeah, it had been, like, a decade. Because Quentin's, like, 30. Yeah. Um, I, going back to what you were saying, like, this, I do think, agree with you that I think the circularity of him taking away Julia's choice and then her taking away his, I don't think we're done with that yet. Like, they clearly have issues that are just piling up and they're going to come to a head at some point. This just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like the whole choosing for each other over and over again and like saving each other and sacrificing for each other has not worked out well for anyone in this show so I don't think it can work out well for them, but I also agree with you. Like, I think the way that that's going to come out is they're just going to, you know, splitsville. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's going to be a direct, like, they split up and they actually decide to. Like, I still feel like Julia will probably somehow, like, become a goddess again. Well, and so just... speaking of, the thing that we have barely mentioned in this episode, and I have a note to myself to sing this. Sorry, guys. Uh, the binder's back and we're gonna be in trouble. Hey, nah, hey, nah, the binder's back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he'll come back again. But, like, he's, but he's back for this episode. Right, he's back for this episode. And he is, like, the one character who can make that transition for people, who can, like, take people from God is to mortal. That- huh? I said, is he, though? (laughs) I mean, he is patently. Like, that's his whole freaking purpose. But I do, I agree with you. Like, I think Julia's going to get her goddess powers back somehow. Um, And I don't exactly know how yet, but it's got to happen. But can I also point out that Julia and Alice, like, hugged, and it was, like, the cutest fucking thing ever? Of course you can point that out. We love female friendship. It was so fucking cute. Like, I was like, oh, my God, they don't hate each other anymore. They've all bonded. I mean, you know, it's grief will do weird things They have all bonded, but it's just, like, interesting. Because, like, I mean, I've always thought that they would get along really well. Mm. So it's just kind of awesome that they are now getting along really well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So we should... Well, I mean, we should talk about gods real quick, Yeah, yeah. Though. So I was going to say, let's move like, to Julia's storyline and get into the gods okay, stuff. Right. Um, right. So Julia, um, honestly, really fucked up that she summoned a god again. I feel like that is not in character. And it seemed like she was trying to summon Hades. Do you think she actually was? I thought she just said, I thought it was just a joke because she said, like, hell or something like that. Oh, maybe. But... Yeah, like, I don't really understand why she would do that after all she's been through. Like, I know that the world is ending, blah, 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 but, like... I think she just doesn't care. She's like, I've already been toe-to-toe with how many gods? Like, fuck it. Eh, maybe. Um, she's like... <laughs> and a lot of the really bad ones are dead, but, like, I swear they're all fucking assholes. Yeah. Well, I did some Googling on Clarion... Because I didn't think she was a real goddess, but also, like, you know, who the fuck knows. Um, and she's not. And then I was able to confirm that with John. He said something like uh, that she was a product of a writer on a deadline. <laughs> a desperate writer on a deadline or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But she is the goddess of melody, which makes me think mm-hmm. that we're going to see her again. Maybe in a musical episode? Maybe. <laughs> she's going to be a rock star? <laughs> oh, God. Is she gonna sing? Isn't that what's is that a pink song? Rockstar? Yeah. That's a nickelback song. No. 
I, I bet there's like a million of them. There is a. I know. Oh, it's so what? I'm thinking about, about so what, which is a Pink song and has Rockstar yeah. in it. <laughs> Not thinking of a Nickelback <laughs> song. Thank you very much, Danny. I don't need your sass. <laughs> your nickel sass. Um. <laughs> I love how she said that she was a follower of Julia, though. Like, that was interesting. It was interesting, but also, do you not feel like that's bullshit? Like, that's just flattery? It might be. I mean, she's definitely shady as fuck, but, like, I mean, every single god that we've been introduced to has been shady as fuck so I'm not surprised there yeah I mean the only sort of exception is OLU and even she is like a little shady she's like scared Mm. though like she was scared and like she just like I guess didn't she didn't want Julia to have that yeah you know I don't know it makes me I get really sad when I think about Julia not having her god powers anymore. It's going to happen. We just got to have faith. But at the same time, I'm like, she's better than them. Like, Better than the gods that we've seen? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. They don't don't deserve her amongst their ranks. I feel like um, when I was first learning about Greek gods in, like, I don't know, middle or high school or whatever, I just remember somebody saying that, like, the whole... Like, in Judeo-Christian mythology, we have this this idea that, like, a god is benevolent and is really there to help people. But in Greek mythology, right, like, the whole thing is just that the gods are humans with everything amped up. So, like, all of our petty jealousies and uh, all of our, like, you know, weird, fucked-up emotions, <laughs> they just have in spades and they have the power to kind of like do something about it. And it's funny because like in a way that's kind of the way that magic is period on the magicians, right? Like the whole idea is that magic doesn't solve your problems. Magic doesn't fundamentally change you. It's just this thing that you have. It's just a tool. So I do really like that that's the vision of gods that we get as these sort of like chaotic, neutral yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking, and I, and I think I I don't remember if I wrote it in my notes or not, but I was just like, you know what? Like I thought for a split second, is Sebastian, aka the Dark King, is he a demigod? Oh shit! Because like we haven't really gotten into the mythology of demigods very much. Well, and like, yeah, well, and like um, in the books, right? When you kill when. Uh, Quentin kills Ember and Umber, their energy is released, and like in the and he takes it, yeah, like temporarily it goes into Quentin and then it goes nowhere. Sorry, major spoilers. <laughs> he had, um, I mean, we've spoiled the book how many times? Um, he had the ability to keep that power, he just gave it up, right? But so, either way, right? Like, the whole thing is that that it's not an energy neutral thing to kill a god. And we didn't have any explanation or conversation at all about that in the show. So I kind of like that idea that, like, maybe it did actually go somewhere and where it went is to whoever this Dark King Sebastian is. Yeah. And also, like, there hasn't been any weird repercussions yet for, I mean, there's the surges, but for killing the gods. 
No. There's um, a lot of gods that were killed. There's a lot of them. Um, but on the Dark King, so I asked John about him, and I was like, I know you probably can't answer this, but is he evil? Like, what's his fucking deal? And he said, the Dark King is, in fact, an extremely good cook who harvests his own truffles, so everyone has a good side, except the president of the United States. And then he went on. I think he was having fun. We originally thought Trump might be the season's big bad, but realized nothing he does is remotely believable to sane humans, which doesn't tell as much, but it's also really funny. It is funny. But yeah, the Dark King's name is Sebastian, and the reason that that struck me is, I I have no idea if this has anything to do with it. It, Almost certainly it's just like a random name that they chose, but Sebastian is the name of the character in Brideshead Revisited um, by Evil and Law, Mm -hmm. who Elliot is based on. His name is Sebastian Flight, Um, and like he's the Elliot to um, Quentin's Charles. Charles is the name of the other character in in, uh, that book who has the, like, Quentin-like relationship to Elliot. And Sebastian's sister is named Julia. So, right, everyone should read uh, Brideshead Revisited because clearly you're going to get a lot (laughs) in it about... uh, Which I feel like, you know, obviously then that goes to show that Sebastian... Definitely his love interest. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? (laughs) Um, I was, like, seriously laughing out loud at how many people were like, oh, yeah, like, I didn't really see their scene as, like, intimate. I'm like, are you fucking blind? I'm shaking my head (laughs) because I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Uh, It was... It seemed pretty obvious to me. And, like, the question then was, is it going to be a stable love interest or is it going to get complicated right away? And I think the answer is both. It's going to be complicated. <laughs> it's going to be complicated because, like, I mean, right off the bat, Margo's like, you're fucking, like, have a boner for this dude. And, like, <laughs> uh, she calls him out immediately, knows exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what friends do. <laughs> he's, like, he's playing in enemy lines just a little too close. <laughs> um. All right. So... The, oh, the other thing that we should mention about the Dark King storyline. Well, I mean, we haven't said anything about Margot, but, like, Margot goes and, like, fights alongside him. And I really loved her scene with the ice axes. I was a little confused about what happened after that. Because it, it, I, I assume that, I guess, the Dark King is the one who actually killed them. But it, it just he was not in the actual scene when that happened. He was elsewhere in the forest. I just, like... That's part of what makes me feel like he has God powers because he's the only one that seems to be able to do anything to them. Yeah, but see, that made me think, and I know you said you don't think this is true, but that made me wonder if he is the one who is, like, controlling them somehow. I mean, it was weird. The whole thing was weird because he, like, ran off right when the Takers showed up and just was, like, by himself. But they had already shown up and started, like... Like, Margo could see them. That's true. And then true. he kind of has this weird split-second reaction, like, wait, you can see them? Maybe Which he's, is like... I don't know. Maybe he's, like, fairy-like He could be harnessing fairy energy, or he could be, like, part fairy or something. Well, and of course, right, like, we saw at the end that they go and, like, raid a house and take a fairy. So that made me wonder, too, like, is he involved in some fairy shit which is what i'm talking about there's so many fucking questions i'm like is he a demigod is he part fairy like were you the person and i feel so bad were you the person who mentioned the, the McAllisters coming back yes i mean i'm sure other people have too but yeah but so tell me your part of that because i think that may be relevant 
Well, this also goes into my theory of him being Rupert Chatwin, right? I'm sorry. So. I'm just making you give your theory. But it's all relevant. There's fairies and shit. I went back to it because, like, his lover was that McAllister boy who was murdered by his father mm-hmm. for being gay. Um, and then you find out this whole plot line about how they, like, have been fucking slaughtering fairies for magic. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like that's super relevant to mm-hmm. if Rupert is potentially back because, like... Maybe it seems like a bad thing that they're doing to the fairies, but maybe, like, it has something else to do. Like, maybe, like, something to get back at the McAllisters. I don't know how, but there's a lot of thoughts there. Because it just seems, like, coincidental. It's more like a coincidence that, like, I think that he might be Rupert and the fairies are suddenly back. And so, I mean, it only opens doors for the McAllisters to come back. And I don't think they can be fully gone. I mean, I think you and I talked about this, but, like, I don't think they can be fully gone because we just got so little after they just, like, they disappeared. They just straight up disappeared, and they had so much power, and that just feels very Chekhov's gun to me. Yeah, it it really does. I mean, I think that her not appearing at all in season four had more to do with the fact that the actress who plays Irene was just very fucking busy. But... I'm sure they've left it on the back burner for something big. So watch out for Crackpot Theory episodes sometime this season because clearly it needs to happen. Um, All right. So I think we maybe at this point have gotten all of the major plot points, which is good because otherwise this episode is going to take forever. And since I am going to be the one editing it and I am not very good at editing things, we should move on. (laughs) Well... I, I just only really quickly want to address, we have to address, like, Elliot and Sebastian's, like, chemistry because oh, yeah. it is off the fucking charts. There's just, like, so much, like, sex in their lines to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like they clearly just, like, you know, want to hook up, but they, they aren't bang, at this bang. point. Bangity bang bang. And I, I love the... <laughs> Oh, you can, like, call me Seb when we're alone. Like, it was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then all I could think about was call me by my name. Mm-hmm. Or call me by your name. Call me by your call name. Call me by your call name. By your name. <laughs> yep. All right. Can we move on to fashion now that we've We can move that? on okay. now. We can move on. <laughs> um, all right. So I only really had one fashion thing, but I was actually really excited because Again, in the two seconds between when I watched this episode and we started recording, I realized that there was something in Clarion's outfit um, that felt to me like a story trigger. Um, she yeah. is wearing a split moon pendant. So it's got like half half on the top, half on the bottom. And I think there's two little round, two little circles between um, somehow. Mm-hmm. And especially since we get a hint in this episode that the moon is going to play a role in this whole apocalypse scenario. And of course we've seen like, move the moon. <laughs> we've seen like all of those, all the promo promotional materials show like the moon cracking up and shit. It feels to me like that is a real sign that she's involved and that maybe all of the gods are involved in some fucked up way. And that maybe they're actually fueling the apocalypse. Cause like she looks a little shady in the episode, but that makes me think total shade. Yeah, that's a really good thing to pick up on. Other than that, though, fashion-wise, like, fashion looked good. Margot looked hot, as usual, though. <laughs> that's usual. Centurion outfit. I really outfit. like her in a ponytail. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. <laughs> but I think that Centurion outfit is really good on her. Like, I, I, I mentioned this in episode one, I think, but I really like how understated her outfits have been this season because she's in this more sort of side role. 
Mm-hmm. And she looks real good and understated. She looks great in the like high fashion couture stuff, but she doesn't mm-hmm. need it to look great. No. Um, let's see. Anything else that you noticed? Oh, well, obviously, other than the sock. I mean, the dude, he was basically dressed as the dude. He totally let's be was. Real. Um, um, that was cool. And I thought that the Visigoths looked really cool. It reminded me of like the Matrix or something, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I found Dean Fogg's shirt a little surprising because I feel like it was louder than, or like it, it was, it was just, it was checkered, right? And so he had like a kind of loud shirt and a kind of loud tie in a different way on top of it. And that surprised yeah. me a little. It was a little different for him. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else? Oh, well, we should, of course, at least mention that Margot talks about how good Elliot looks in his new outfit. The whole legs for days comment. It was great. His leggings. <laughs> <laughs> he does have legs for days. It's a fact. And what do you think about Plum? Plum's sense of style. I mean, it's very different than how I pictured it. I feel like I really m- pictured her as kind of like an emo kid. Well, I think that's because you pictured her as you. Nah. <laughs> what did you picture her as? I pictured her as like a little punk or something. I think, I'm trying to think about how I pictured her. I'm not 100% sure that I fully did, but I definitely pictured her as ha- having like short black hair. And that's basically all I can give you because I, I don't remember much. It's not at all what I pictured, but I like it. Like, she's definitely not as, like, angry about life as Plum is in the books. Mm. But, of course, Plum had just gotten kicked out of break bills in the books, so. Yeah. There was that. But I like that they, I like that she's a person of color. Like, I really like that. Yeah, me too. And I like that she's not the only important person of color that's been introduced this season yeah there's a lot yeah because we got the the sisters daniela and who's the other one that's alive is it beth or zoe zoe is the other one that's alive right zoe um and well i mean i guess jake Choi's character died real fast so (laughs) maybe not as significant as we thought he was gonna be um but yeah it just feels like they have been I just it, it's nice to see nice to see them casting diversely. Um, all right, are we done with fashion? Yes. We didn't pay a ton of attention. I still feel super proud that I spotted that moon pendant. Yeah, that's a really good find. I feel like if you hadn't, someone would have pointed it out. Oh, probably. Uh, I'm sure. So I guess that takes us to MVPs, and I'm going to make you go first because I have no idea how to determine an MVP in this episode that I barely had time to process and is, like, crazy. All right. So, like, I mean, this is what I wrote in my notes. I was like, that's really hard. I feel like I have to just, like, give it to the ensemble or, like, the director because there's Mm. so much, like, dark scenes in it. And, like, I know that shooting at night is a fucking bitch. So... (laughs) Oh, man. Who directed this, you know? Yeah, I unfortunately don't know the answer. Sorry. But, yeah, you can give it to the director, and then we'll look it up later and tweet it out. Um, okay. I think I'm going to give my MVP to John, because this fucking episode is crazy, and there's so much in it, and it still felt like it made sense. Mm-hmm. So, it did. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to John as the writer, because uh, I can't pick an actor. Yeah, there's too many. There's too many. They were all very good. Um, so that takes us to the non-rating ratings. And I mean, shit, mm-hmm. this is a hell of an episode. So what worked for me, uh, I did love that it was action-packed and remarkably coherent given how much got shoved into this one episode. 
I also really like what what John said about how like they wanted to take a break from the grieving and do something fun. Like this is this is such a great fun romp of an episode. Um, yeah, and I love it. I love the I, it worked really well, and it didn't feel it didn't feel like a hard left turn. It just felt like it's fun because of all of the things that they have to continue doing um, to just mm-hmm. like get along with their plots. So I thought it worked really well. It gave a, it gave me a thing that I needed, which was an episode that wasn't just going to leave me devastated and crying for a week. Yeah, I surprisingly didn't cry. I know, didn't cry. I just laughed a lot and, like, gasped and scared my husband and made him think that, like, something terrible was happening because I was gasping about Plum. And, yeah, Plum is also a thing that worked for me. I still can't believe that neither of us figured it out beforehand, but I love it. I don't think anyone has. Like, I really don't. I haven't seen any mentions of Plum from any fans out there so I think they really hid this one well (laughs) yeah they did a good job um as far as what didn't work I feel like it's a really hard question to try to answer when I haven't had much time to process it but I know you at least had some things that you were like "Eh, I'm not sure that everything worked for me do you want to talk about that it's not necessarily that it didn't work for me it's just like I don't know how I feel about it so like the worst part for me was definitely Katie having to do drugs again to get something like I don't know if I particularly like that since she is an addict I don't know if it's just gonna be something that makes it so that she never does it again well good and that's the case but notably uh even though it's not the exact same thing like she was comparing it to LSD and LSD is at least not chemically um addictive it's not but I feel like it's just like the idea of it it is a drug regardless for sure so but I don't know that it gives me a little bit of hope that like maybe it's gonna feel different for her also what the dude said to her about um like having that responsibility still in her I think that's a good sign that she's gonna be okay yeah I just like that's the only thing that I felt like was kind of troubling to me I was just like really like a drug is the answer yeah I understand (laughs) I I don't know I'm sure I'll come to terms with it like as we move along and I've seen the episode more because like obviously I've only seen it once so these are all just like straight right off the bat feelings but no, I think that's good. And I, I did feel, like, I felt similarly, but I felt more that way about Fog, like I said before, just because, like, he's the one who's going to have to stay there and continue living in that feeling for a really long time. And, yeah, I just don't know how you recover from that, especially when this is his, I think this is, like, his first real attempt at sobriety. Yeah, I think so. All right. Anything else you want to mention before we tie a little bow on this bonkers episode? My favorite things, obviously, Plum, the, like, freaking Elliot finally getting a love interest again, kind of. Um, And my favorite line, I just have to point out in the entire episode, was, for what it's worth, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Because I love when Julia is a straight-up sassy bitch. I love it. That's like my new motto. <laughs> we should and get it on a yourself. t-shirt for you. All right. And with that, I think we've come to the end of this wackadoodle ass episode, both of the show and of us like trying to process it in real time. <laughs> so listeners, thanks. Just like everyone else. <laughs> it's true. The stars are like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed us being crazy for the last 45 minutes or whatever, you can subscribe online wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye.
mind slot. We gotta move the moon. <laughs> <laughs>